Would you pray with me, please? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts bring you glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever felt impressed by the Lord to share your faith with someone that you don't know? Maybe you've been in line in the grocery store or or seated in an office somewhere in a waiting room or on a bus or a plane or something. And you're sitting next to someone you don't know and you just feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit. And you know you're supposed to say something about your faith to that person. Sometimes it's awkward. It's hard. It's it's a little scary and, and you feel uncomfortable. So maybe you don't say anything. But perhaps that nagging feeling keeps coming and the Lord gives you that perfect opportunity to, to bring up the subject of your faith and, and opens the door for you to share in some way. Well, a few weeks ago, Bob and I were on a, a, an international flight, a very long flight, 13 hours, and I was seated next to a movie star. Now, I don't know why he wasn't in the first class. He was way back where the common people were, but I, I knew he was a movie star only because he told me he was flying to Hollywood to make a movie. Now, I don't have a TV in my house, so I very seldom watch movies. I had no idea who this man was, which I'm sure was a great disappointment to him. But after 13 hours of sitting with somebody, you get to know them a little bit. And I found out that he works in Hollywood, lives in California, but that he was flying in from his private island in the South Pacific to make a movie. And then after the movie was done, he was going on vacation for several months in Australia. Now, why someone who has a private island in the South Pacific would need a vacation in Australia is beyond me. But anyway, we had a long time to get to know one another and to talk together. And he was very friendly, very outgoing. It didn't take me long to understand that this man was an atheist, a pure atheist. I mean, he knew about God. He knew about Jesus. He was very well-educated, very highly spoken man. But for some whatever reason, he decided to turn his back on God and just not believe that there was anybody he'd ever have to be accountable for in, in his future. Uh, basically, he felt like everything that happened was just random, that no one was really in charge. There was no higher power or authority. Basically, his philosophy of life would be live life to the fullest. Life is short. Have as much fun as possible. Be kind and loving to one another. Treat the earth well, and things will pretty much happen the way they're supposed to happen. That sums it up, anyway, in, in my own words. So I began feeling that nudge from the Lord to share my faith and began to pray that the Lord would give me a way to somehow point to Jesus without causing this man to shut down or to be antagonistic. Um, Because after he told me a lot about his life, I knew we had nothing in common. But he gave me a great opportunity, basically an open invitation when he said, So, Lori, what do you do for a living? (laughs) And he almost fell out of his little cramped airline seat when I told him I was a pastor (laughs) and a Bible teacher because of all the things he had said against God. And I'm sure he thought back to what he had said, and and he just recalled that and began to laugh. And we had actually a really good conversation. He wondered why I believed and why I chose to do what I do. And, And basically, our conversation was without animosity or antagonism. For some reason, he was genuinely interested in what I had to say and respectful of my faith. And as I listened to his life story and compared it to mine, I was just amazed at the huge difference in our lifestyle. 
But I couldn't help but acknowledge the fact that, indeed, the Holy Spirit had given me words to say to help me share my faith in this situation. Because, like I said, he was someone I had absolutely nothing in common with. Now, in this story from Acts, we see Paul is sort of in a similar situation. He wants to share his faith with a city full of idol worshipers, people he had very little in common with in Athens. Now, a bit of history and background for you. Paul had just left a very volatile situation in Thessalonica. The Jews were very jealous of the crowds of people that came to listen to Paul speak. And so they formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They intended to drag Paul out into the crowd, hoping to kill him. So he somehow left, and the Holy Spirit gave him the power to do that, and he left for Berea. So as Paul and Silas arrived in Berea and began sharing the message of Jesus with the people there, they were pleasantly surprised at just how how well they were received there compared to Thessalonica. But it wasn't long before those troublemakers from Thessalonica caught up with them in Berea and began to stir up trouble for Paul in that city. So the Christians sent Paul alone to Athens. So here he was in Athens the home of the great philosophers Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, the home of democracy, Greek mythology, many, many, many Greek gods, Poseidon, Zeus, Achilles, Apollos, Hermes, Aphrodite, could go on and on. Luke tells us that as Paul made his way around the city, he was quite distressed by what he saw. He was astonished just by the sheer number of idols, of gods that the people of Athens worshipped. The city was just full of idols. In fact, one ancient writer tells us there were over 30,000 idols in the day that Paul was in the city. As was his custom, he went directly into the synagogue to tell the Jews about the good news of Jesus Christ. But somehow in the synagogue, there were Greeks, there were philosophers, Stoics, Epicureans, and they became very curious about the message that Paul was teaching. They even questioned each other. And said, boy, he seems to be abdicating foreign gods. This is the kind of thing that appealed to these philosophers. They spent day after day after day meeting in a place they call the Areopagus. Debating the latest ideas and the newest religions. So a group of them invited Paul to come up there to the Areopagus in a place called Mars Hill. To their meeting and to share with them more about what he was teaching. Now, knowing Paul, I would guess, because of his desire to to share the message of Jesus, he probably jumped at the chance to meet with these people. But I also imagine that he spent a considerable amount of time planning and preparing just how he would go about doing this. Paul, being very educated, probably thought back to the history of the area, and he came up with a brilliant plan. Maybe he wandered over to Mars Hill and saw the remnants of the 200 or so stone idols that had been erected there several hundred years ago. Maybe he even leaned down and brushed the dirt and the old grass away and read the inscription on one of those idols that said, To the Unknown God. Somehow it seems that he was reminded of something that happened there on the slopes of that grassy hill, and it gave him an idea of how he could address these philosophers. You see, several hundred years before Paul got there in Athens, there was a king called Megacles that ruled over the city of Athens. There was also an Olympic champion, everybody's hero. He was called Cylon. 
And Cylon decided that he wanted to overtake the king. He wanted to be the new ruler in the city. So he and a few of his followers, followers tried to rebel against the king. Well, the king and all of his soldiers captured this Olympic hero, Cylon. And he said to him, if you will surrender peacefully and give up these aspirations, I will spare your life, you and your followers. So Cylon thought that was a pretty good idea, and he said, yes, I I will surrender to you. So they marched him back into the city, but as soon as they got there, the king changed his mind, and he had them all killed. And as soon as that broken promise occurred, a terrible plague hit the city of Athens. People began to get sick and to pass the sickness on to others, and very soon people began to die, and this plague just spread out of control. So the people suspected that the gods were punishing them for the treacherous way King Megacles dealt with Cylon. And the people of Athens tried everything they could to appease their many gods, offering sacrifices, prayers, worshiping the false deities, but nothing improved, and the plague continued to ravage the city. The members of the ruling council decided to get some advice from a man that they had heard about who lived off on the island of Cyprus or Crete, rather. His name was Epimenides. Epimenides was known to many as being a great prophet. So they sent for this man, and they told him all the things that had happened. They gave him the history of the king and and the killings and the plague. And as he thought and thought about it, this prophet, Epimenides, decided there must be another god out there, another god who's unknown to them, but he's more powerful than any of the other gods that they did know. And it was only he that could stop this terrible plague. So in order to test his prophecy, Epimenides asked for two things to occur. First, he asked that a shepherd and a flock of sheep be brought there on Tamar's hill, and a stonemason and a pile of stones. It was evening, and all were told to stay up there on the hill all night long and wait for an answer to a prayer that Epimenides would pray to this unknown god, asking the unknown god to do something very unnormal, something that would go against what should normally happen. And his prayer went like this. O thou unknown god, behold the plague that is besieging this city and ravaging us. Reveal your willingness to help us despite the fact that we don't even know your name. Show us that you are there by causing the sheep that we brought up here on the hill Not to graze when the sun comes up, but rather to lie down on the grass and go to sleep. Now the people up there on the hill were just shaking their heads, thinking, that'll never happen. That's the most unnatural thing. I mean, naturally, sheep would begin grazing and having their breakfast when the sun rose. But for the sheep to lie down and go to sleep, what was he thinking? Well, I guess that would be a way to prove that this unknown God heard. So the ruling council members and the others up there on the hill... They stayed up all night, anxiously awaiting what would happen at daybreak. As the first rays of light began to fill the sky, one by one, the little sheep began to lie down in a ball, curl up, and fall asleep. It was a miracle. So Epimenides instructed the stonemason to erect an altar at each of the places where a sheep was lying down and inscribe the altars with these words, To the unknown God. And that's what Paul saw several centuries later. Whoever this God was, he had shown compassion to the people of Athens. 
And the prophet prayed a beautiful prayer of thanksgiving. And these are his very words. He said, To thee, O high and holy one, thou art not dead, but thou livest and abidest forever. For it is in you that we live and move and have our being. Do those words sound familiar? Amazingly, the plague left the city that very day. The unknown God had answered their prayers. So Paul used this story, this history, this this background, these words of the prayer of Epimenides when he spoke to the philosophers on Mars Hill centuries later. He was in that very same place where this extraordinary miracle had taken place, though it had been forgotten for several hundred years. The people of Athens had turned their back on the one that they had met that day, the true God. Paul knew what he needed to say to these people, and now he knew how to say it. He started out this way. He said, I can see you're a very religious society. There are idols everywhere I look. As I walk around and look carefully at your objects of worship, I even found one with this inscription, to the unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown to you, I am going to proclaim to you, to tell you who he is. These are the things Paul wanted them to know. First of all, this God that he was talking about has made everything, the world and everything in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He's too great to be confined to an altar or a temple. He's not dependent on people to do his work or to meet his needs. For it is in him that we live and move and have our being. It was he who created all people everywhere from just one man and one woman. He's not far from any one of us. We just need to call out to him, and he's there. Paul said to them, In the past, he's overlooked our ignorance of him. But now that I have revealed him to you, you have no excuse. He has set a time for the world to be judged through the God-man, Jesus Christ, who had been raised from the dead after taking our sins upon him. And so Paul talked to them on a level they could understand, using something they could relate to, their own history. Not surprisingly, some believed and put their faith in Jesus, but others sneered at him. But Paul gave us a great example of how to share our faith. If we ever have the chance to know our audience, their background, their belief system, their history, we have a great advantage, but that's not usually the case. It's helpful to remember, though, that God has made man so that he instinctively, something inside of him, longs for truth, longs for God, longs for correct answers to life's major questions. And when we have the opportunity to share our belief in Jesus Christ, even if someone seems resistant to the message, like Robert the movie star, inside the very depths of their heart, they have a a longing to know the true meaning and I knew this guy, Robert, didn't, would have never admit that there was a God or that he actually believed what I was saying. But I also felt that he, inside, deep inside his spirit, he did have that same longing. And that gave me the determination to continue our conversation about Jesus. There's just something inside mankind that makes him grope after God because we're all his children. As Paul said to the Athenians, God has determined the time set for them, the exact place where they should live. And he did this so that we would seek after God. 
and perhaps reach out for him and find him because he is not far from any one of us. Paul quoted another Greek philosopher when he used these words in that same address to the philosophers. He said, we are all his offspring. In other words, we're kin, we're family, we're members of God's household, each one of us, whether or not we want to admit it. And something inside of us wants to search for where we came from, for who we belong to. Something in us longs to know why we're here and what our purpose is. So knowing that can help me persevere when I have a chance to share the good news. If someone is at the point in their life where they are seeking, God promises that he'll reach out and help them find him. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. Thankfully, it's not our job to convert someone. It's just our job to point to God. Paul told the Corinthians, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. If we think of the gospel message as a treasure that we've been given, just with the purpose of sharing it with others, not to hoard it to ourselves, but to give it. With God's help, we can carry that task out without being afraid or hesitant. The world is looking for answers. But as you all know, not everyone will receive the answers we have to give with open arms. We can try to find some common ground between the people God puts in our path that don't know him. But the Holy Spirit will always give us the words we need when we ask him and and allow us to speak thoughtfully and carefully He'll fill us with compassion when we pray for those that he's given us to share the gospel with. Paul talked to these men and women on a level that they could understand, yet, not surprisingly, some believed, but others sneered and turned their backs on Paul and ultimately upon Jesus. That day in Athens, there was not an overwhelming response to Paul's message, but some lives were changed. We're told that a few men became followers of Jesus including one of the members of the Areopagus named Dionysius and also a woman named Damaris. And the message was delivered with compassion, giving the hearers the best possible opportunity to listen and believe. When we love one another, when we show compassion, when we show respect, we can humbly offer to others the life-giving answers that we have found. But like Paul, we can expect a mixed response to our efforts to share our faith. Some will mock, others will delay, but some may be moved by God's Spirit to make a choice that will yield eternal benefits. We don't control the results, just the witness. Trust God to give you an opportunity to share your faith with the people he puts in your path. Timothy reminds us to be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so those who speak maliciously against our good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now the people of Athens had a history with God. Their ancestors saw him work in amazing ways when he healed that city of the ravaging plague so many years ago. Their forefathers watched in awe as he answered their prayers. Yet, after time, they forgot about him. 
They denied his existence and they followed after other gods. Man-made idols, pieces of rock and metal and even the stars and the sun and, and created things rather than the creator. There may be people God puts in your path that have had a history with God at some point. But for whatever reason, they've turned their backs on him. Something rather ironic happened to me last weekend. I was preparing this message and thinking about it in my mind, and and I was working on my yard. We had um, our roof replaced, and we had to rent one of those giant dumpsters. And the guy came to take the dumpster away, and as I saw him pull up, I was like, oh, I have so much stuff I want to stick in that dumpster before he goes. So I was running around my yard like a crazy woman, trying to put as much garbage into that thing and get my money's worth out of it. And this guy comes out of the truck, and and he is big, really big. And he's got tattoos on his bare arms from top to bottom and a ponytail and long hair and and a scar on his face. And I know you think I'm making this up. It's true. He looked just like that. He was very intimidating to me. And so I was just trying to run around and, and keep my distance. And all of a sudden, the sky just opened up. I mean, it started to rain buckets and buckets and buckets and so both of us took shelter underneath my deck right in front of our garage door and and I'm looking at him and up at him he's looking down at me and and I'm thinking oh great uh nobody's home even my dog ran away because he was afraid of the truck (laughs) and he looks at the t-shirt I was wearing my Houghton College t-shirt and he looks at me and he says oh you went to Houghton are you a Christian and just the way he said that I knew he probably wasn't. And, and I also knew that I would be standing in front of you today talking about sharing my faith. And the Spirit was nudging me to do so. <laughs> so what could I say? <laughs> he gave me the perfect opportunity to talk to him about the Lord. And so I said, yes, I am a Christian. How about you? And he just looked at me and he said, yeah, I was, but I'm not anymore. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit filled me with such compassion for this man. Instead of terror, all of a sudden, I, fe- I felt sorry for him. And, and his, he just opened right up, and he told me about his past, and he told me about the history that he had with um, a broken family and um, an alcohol addiction and some other things that just made me want to do nothing more than pray for him. And so I did, and, and now I don't know what the Holy Spirit did in his heart. I wish I could um, tell you that it had a happy ending and he got on his knees and prayed to receive Christ again. And I don't know. It's not up to me to know, though. The rest is up to God and the other people who God puts in his path that are obedient to this pricking of the Holy Spirit to encourage him and to pray for him and to share their faith with him. Someone once told me that there was some research done on the amount of encounters with God or spiritual touches, as it was called, for the average non-believer to experience before they have a desire to want to become a Christian. And the number that the researchers came up with was 25. In other words, before someone decides to become a Christian, they usually have about 25 different times in which they're told about Jesus in some way, shape, or form, maybe a conversation with someone or um, overhearing some talk to someone else or listening to a Christian radio program or whatever it could be. And it made me think, I wonder how many times we've been somebody's first touch or first contact with God. Maybe we're their 10th or their 18th or their 22nd or maybe their 25th. 
maybe one of us, one of you, will have the option or the, or the privilege of leading someone to Christ. And maybe several of you have. But when we're obedient, we're part of that process. It may not seem likely here in Houghton that we meet people who have never had an encounter with God before. But the fact is, we have a, a very unique opportunity every year because we are the host church to over 60 international kids that come in to go to school here. And of those kids that come in from, especially the communist countries, there are many of them that have never touched a Bible in their lives. They've never had an encounter with God until they get here. And in September, you'll see some of those students right here in our church. And we as a church body have the example, have the opportunity to be an example to them, to tell them what Christians are like. We may be their first touch from God. And let me continue. Let me encourage you because so many of you do reach out to them and are so kind and and, um, thoughtful to them. But let me encourage all of you to reach out and to love them and to be models of Christ to them. And you may see that, that they don't always meet your gaze. They don't always shake your hand. They may seem unfriendly, but that's a cultural thing. A lot of the Asians are taught respect to elders, which means you know, averting their eyes, looking down rather than meeting your gaze. So don't take that as uh, unfriendliness or disrespect. That's a cultural thing. So keep loving these kids. They're so warm and friendly and wonderful. And in many senses, we have the mission field coming to us. And everywhere you go, there will be opportunities to share your faith with people. Each one of you has a unique calling. You all are on your own path with God leading And you'll come across different people than I'll come across. And those people are yours to touch for God, to help have an encounter with God. And as the Lord said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or discouraged. For the Lord will be with you wherever you go. And again, Paul to Timothy, be prepared in season and out of season to correct, to rebuke, to encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And then Peter, to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. Remember, the Holy Spirit is there to help you, to help you speak, to help speak through you when you ask him to. Like Paul in Athens, be a willing tool in God's hands to spread the gospel in the places he has marked out for you to do so. And may the Lord water and grow the seeds that are spread for his glory, for the expansion of his kingdom here on earth. Now, you may never see the results of this work on earth, but someday in heaven, you will meet those whose lives you have touched. Father, give us courage as we walk along the path that you have marked out for us. Help us to be prepared. Help us to be willing to share our faith with those that you give us to share with. In Jesus' name, amen.